This is Contra Radio from Contra.Scott. Hi, and welcome to ContraCast. My name is Kat Boyd, and I'm joined with my wonderful co-host, David Jameson. How's it going? Um, I'm recording from my box room, which, as you can see behind me, is a, a bit of a bomb site. But I've just manoeuvred in there. I, I did. I was. I was wondering if that was deliberate or not. Um, I, I'm just getting, you know, so excited for Indie F2, um, which is obviously on the way since all three candidates are promising it with various mechanisms, thermometers, barometers, whatever it is. It's upon us. You guess um, it. Yeah, well, how long has it been since our last pod? Maybe a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I, it's a really bad time for me to be off Twitter. Uh, it's a golden age for the internet shit you're still on lent i'm still i still on bloody lent apparently lent is technically 47 days when you work it out not 40 days so i've 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 really bumped myself because i'm off the twitter and the instagram and chocolate i mean i thought you only had to do one well i mean you can only i mean it depends depends how like i don't know You'll you be, don't have to do multiple. You'll be like Opus Day next. You'll be wrapping barbs around your leg and so on. I think that's quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know this? Do you know where Opus Day comes from? No. Thank I you, don't, David. I don't know nothing. <laughs> um. So it was like a, it was a Catholic faction that developed in like Franco Spain, which is why it does things like. Um, I don't know this. It, it kind of its whole idea is that you uh, is that hard work is a form of worship. So there's yeah. a very kind of a Orwellian quality to it. It's interesting because it's sort of um, it's kind of incipiently anti the church hierarchy in a way. Its whole thing yeah. is like no, that the real church is the lay membership who don't have time for theology. And oh wait! So Opus Day is like, like the Ash Reagan of the church. I su- you could say so, I suppose. Um, but uh, the Opus Day, I don't know if Opus Day have a master's degree. <laughs> oh yeah, she's got a master's degree in, uh, in international international relations or something. Relations, yeah. So, uh, I, I so that's just... her main. Do you want to see like the really just a sidebar, like there's really um just to show you how like all over the place my uh religious practice is, mm-hmm. and to really damage my Catholic reputation. I bought this book today, uh, which I think is coming up Feng backwards Shui. on Zoom. It's Feng Shui, yeah. a book about Feng Shui, because I've been mapping out my house and all the different bagwas and how all the different energies flow through the home. House and magic. House magic, yeah, house magic. Uh, it's, I mean, it's really cute. It's for girls and it's just this nice house magic and you put like plants and mirrors and stuff places and I'm having a really nice time. And my husband says, please stop saying the word bagua at me. <laughs> I must have a slightly crazed look in my eye. Just tell me. So yeah, my maternity leave is going really well. Yeah. Um, how many other <laughs> forms of sort of hyper girly superstition are you involved in? Do you follow your horoscope? See, to be honest, like I, I, I used to follow my horoscope. I kind of hate all that shit now. I kind of mm. hate it all. 
I'm really over it. Like I said that to someone and they were like, oh, that's so Pisces. And I was like, damn, yeah. I am a Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not really, I'm not really into like astrology or anything like that. You know that deep down I'm only into like the hardcore Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't help a wee bit of like feng shui because it's, you know, it's all nice and stuff. Is the idea about feng shui is that where you situate your furniture and so on has some kind of positive spiritual impact on? Well, it's about the flow of energy. It's about the flow of chi through different spaces in your home, which like are they're delineated by like certain squares, and um, mm. which are known as bagua. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it turns out our house is missing like a whole bagua. We're missing a whole bagua, and it's. It's the money, Bagua. We have no money, Bagua. Well. So, uh, so you can imagine James's face when I'm like running about the flat squealing, we're skint because we have no money, Bagua. You should have had your eye on that when you moved in. I mean, imagine the face of someone who is a proper, like, hardline historical materialist when I'm screaming about the cost of living crisis is because we don't have a money, Bagua. Yeah, I can I can hear him sort of snarling quietly. No, no, I can't. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so anyway, on to the um, I mean the the wonderful leadership election, which I have to say has provided. I mean, it's definitely bad chi, negative chi, negative chi all over the SNP's campaign. All of them, they're all like giving off quite bad vibes to each other, I think. Their bagwas are all fucked up. Their bagwas are like really messed up. I bet like Butte House has some really nasty bagwa in it. <laughs> <laughs> that and the party HQ that some people claim they spent all the independence money on. Maybe know? they were trying to like fix the Feng Shui problems. They should have just said that. You know what I mean? They could have they could have dispelled uh, a lot David, of David, I for one would have been fine with that. Mm. I would have been fine with that. The reason why we're not having any success in pursuing India F2 is because our, our independence bagwa uh, is <laughs> <laughs> bad vibes. The so, chi I mean, in our independence bagwa is very off. And uh, I mean, that is only as sane as some of the proposals. Um, you know, what, I mean, is, what, I, is, yeah, what is the vote? Where did the money go? Well, I mean, we're still to find and, and look, yeah, exactly, David, right? So we're here and we're having a laugh at me being daft as a brush about feng shui, but I'm at the one on TV announcing that we won't be having a de facto referendum, except we will be, but we've rebadged it as a voter empowerment mechanism. What is, so tell me, I literally don't know what the voter empowerment mechanism is. I don't know what, it, but I think it's a de facto referendum. Okay. And as far as I understand it, all three candidates have proposed a version of the de facto referendum. And all I mean, I know that Hamza Yusuf has both proposed it and ruled it out and proposed it and ruled it out. <laughs> I think I literally think about it. I, I, I try to go and look up how many different proposals uh, Hamza Yusuf has made about how to approach independence. I think he's ridiculed the de facto ref. I think he's blown hot and cold on it. He said that every election will be a de facto ref. I think he and Ash Reagan has done that. 
you'd need to look that up because it's a bewildering, it's like a blizzard of different proposals about how exactly independence is got to. I don't know if there's a calm strategy behind that and that this is now just stupid. It, there could be. Sometimes you get kind of political calm strategies where the whole approach is just to throw out as many random, mutually contradictory, conflicting ideas at once so that no, everyone, every constituency can just project onto what they want, which is something which has worked for Scottish nationalism for quite a long time now. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure it's working for Hamza Yusuf. It just makes him look crazed. I mean, I think I said in the last pod that I did put my money on Hamza Yusuf. Mm. Um, I don't think, I mean, I'm worried about my money now. I'm worried about the bet, obviously, because I've not fixed the, the, the money bag well. Um, but I am worried about that bet, particularly because I think that Ash Regan's votes are—I mean, she'll definitely come last, right? Um, well, I, I would assume so, having like seen some of the performances and stuff. Um, I mean, I'm sure she's a really nice person, but I don't—I mean, honestly, I really died of cringe when she went on the telly and told everyone she had a master's degree. Um, it's just why would you do that? Like, do you know what it reminded me of? Do you mind Peter Dow? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Peter Dow is a super eccentric independence campaigner and is in all sorts of trouble. But, like, he had, like, all his certificates on the wall behind him in all of his pictures. It is like that. Ash Reagan is giving off Peter Dow energy. Yeah, and, like, you know that way where, like, just coming up with loads and loads of mad policy ideas? Yeah, yeah, loads of crazy policies. Yeah. Proclaiming her expertise. He does that yeah. a lot, just sort of says, well, yeah. I'm an expert on this, that, and the next thing. Um, I mean, she's kind of like, you know how there's that subsection of kind of independence data types? You know what I mean? Who who <laughs> Describe to me an independence da. Um, 60, um, bald, very angry, very into independence. Would do things like that, would proclaim their expertise, over multiple areas of policy, um, often likes to talk in the technicalities of politics, but besides that, it's mostly just sort of like yeah, very free. Is it, to me. Is it, um, yeah, I I do kind of know what you mean. I know what you mean. Like, I I think I think I know the type of independence that you're talking about. She's she's like yeah, she's their candidate. I think. That's her 11% or whatever she's currently polling at. <clears throat> um, I mean, she looks good. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're always in danger when you start saying that politicians are good looking. There's that kind of effect of politics is an ugly people's game. So, any- but like, I mean, Hamza looks good. Kate Forbes looks good. I mean, actually, in terms of the Scottish political pool, these are three fairly attractive candidates. Do you know... Um, People will say quiet, quietly to me, you know, like, I remember when Salmond was first minister and people always used to say to me quietly, like, does our first minister have to look like a joke version of what everyone says Scottish men look like? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of image is that to present to the world, right? They all Do you remember had- when he went to New York in his tartan trousers? Um, yeah, exactly. He's, he's a he is a rotund man in tartan trousers who like 
enjoys a drink by all reports, right? Which is allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> which is more or less the cartoon image of Scottish men for the last sort of two hundred years. Um, so yeah, he, but so it, it, it is at least a relief uh, that our face to the world at the moment is somewhat more presentable. Unfortunately, totally. unfortunately, it's also so Mickey Mouse and cartoonishly stupid that I hope no one's paying attention to Scotland right now. Um, I suspect they aren't because especially once independence is off the table, there's not a story for an international market here. But anyone paying attention right now is looking at this thinking, yeah, just beneath the surface of what Nicola Sturgeon was presenting to the world, there's nothing. There is nothing. There is a gaping void of nothingness. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I mean, Angus Robertson might have been a bit, made it look a bit more professional, but he's about as substanceless as as the three candidates um, that that we currently have. But it is is remarkable how, um, I was listening to James and Pete's pod, and James does say it's kind of sub-council chamber levels of debate and argument between the three candidates in all seriousness if you watch footage from a council chamber like edinburgh or glasgow you'll see better performances it's yeah. that bad i'm really surprised by just how bad the quality of, of these politicians is and my assumption is that no matter who wins i assume there'll be quite a rapid turnover at the top I just well, thought... so today we've had the um, the finally announced the membership figures, haven't they? Mm. It was about seven seventy two thousand one hundred eighty six, I think. Um, there's a Sun journalist, is it Chris Musson, I think, Aye. says that um, he asked on the twenty first of February and was told by the SNP's comms people that they had something like one hundred three thousand members at that point. Obviously, a lie. But that you know that would mean that they've lost thirty thousand members in three weeks, um, which is downright careless. But yes, uh, that that was obviously a nonsense, which means that the party's lost about fifty thousand, over fifty thousand members since its peak, which is not yeah. that far off half. It's men. I also think that it's very likely that the loss of those members are in the areas where they might have voted for Hamza Yusuf. Like I, th- I see Hamza Yusuf as a very central bell urban candidate, a product of Sturgeonism. Like even if the kind of the party machine wasn't <laughs> clearly backing Hamza to the hilt, um, you know he's very much like yeah, he's just a he's very much like of the referendum era. Do you know what I mean? Like being young, um, kind of enthusiastic, got that energy about him. Um, you know, it's very clear that he will run better with voters within the central belts rather than like in the kind of Tartan Tory heartlands, mm. where I think Kate Forbes has a significant and serious base. Yeah, so my my assumption is if you could see a map of the voting once the voting actually takes place, you would see that the northeast was more strongly Forbes. And perhaps the borders as well. I don't know what the party's like down there. The central belt, of course, is I assume made up of two very dis- different constituencies, which is former Labour working class people, 
and You've now left the party. Well, I assume that's where most of the yeah. the leaving yeah. has been done, right? And another constituency is kind of young, um, young professionals or aspiring shark is the word you're looking for. Young sharks. Um you know, kind of bit sort of university students and 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 graduates and stuff like that, but people who are the sort of people who are absolutely well, the sort of people who've it's, just found out that Kate Forbes is a social conservative, despite the fact that she's been their number yeah. two in the government for the last few years. Yeah. Um, and also it's the exact same group of people who would have been Blairites in nineteen ninety-seven. Some of them literally the same people. I mean, I, I always <laughs> tell this story, but I remember going to the 2015 SNP conference and seeing so many recognisable faces and thinking, where do I know these people from? And of course, they were the former La- Labour students we went to university with, the kind of the, the NUJ careerists, not NUJM, NUS, uh, careerists from from those days. And they'd traded in the the famous labor skinny tie red skinny tie for those pastel power suits that the snp used to wear and they've toned them down a bit recently but people forget back in about 2015 2016 off the back of the of the kind of joy of the 2014 referendum they were dressing like it was in 1985 they looked it they looked like wham Right, so there are all these people. I don't remember that. I just like I just have the memory of it's the foam fingers. There was the foam fingers, but if you went to the went among the actual professionals, there were lots of cheesy grins, swaggers, winkle pickers. Remember those were mm-hmm. people had really spiky feet and spiky shoulders, and they were all either light blue or a vibrant kind of waspy yellow, uh, and they were all kind of strutting around like that. <laughs> Um and uh yeah, and, and you had still the odd activist in a kilt and so on um in those days, but I think that's probably toned down a bit. These days they've they've toned down the suits. But the point is these like the old Labour students who are famously a right-wing organization then had gone out and 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 bought themselves some new clobber from wherever it is that you get a bright yellow fucking power suit with huge <laughs> shoulder pads. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was often it was quite literally the same people. Um, yeah, so I don't know of that fifty thousand who have left. I suspect that is overwhelmingly working class voters, many of whom will only really have joined the SNP as a kind of protest vote. Yeah, immediately after yeah. twenty fourteen no vote. Yeah, I mean, I think that my guess on this and it is purely a guess is that the vast majority of members who have left will not have resigned in any great protest but will just have sort of slowly drifted away as the shine has come off the SNP post 2014 um, or post 2015 maybe you could say like after the after the general election I think you know because the reality is is that the record in government has been a has been abysmal do you know what I mean? It's been, it's been a total disaster. Um, even these the SNP leadership candidates are saying that now, right? <laughs> Which you know, even like Kate Forbes is attacking like the record of the government and things like that, despite having been in it. And do you know what I mean? It's starting to get really messy now. But this kind of it props up a longer 
a kind of longer trajectory and a theory that I had been positing for a while about the the SNP post-2015, which is that they are, I mean, as it's been observed before, it's not particularly original, but they are like new labour, right? But what is happening is that the deterioration of the kind of like new labour sheen or like the sturgeonite sheen is happening at a much faster rate than the deterioration of new labor. Like it's the, the the shine is coming off them so quickly. Like if you look at just how many like sex scandals, um, allegations of corruption, or even not even allegations of corruption, but a sense of it being corrupt, a sense of the party being like too tightly controlled, and a sense of the members not being listened to. Do you know what I mean? There's all of these things that are happening. Um, and I think that there are groups of people who were the working class of voters who joined the SNP en masse after the referendum and um, who saw it as like a way to continue their agency mm. um, in politics um, and that they've just slowly faded away. Like all the momentum is gone. The yes movement is gone um, like under Sturgeon. Like it's all just been absolutely hollowed out. Um, and now we're in that because you remember like the, the kind of end of like, like the actual new labor brand by the way I'm not saying that like Keir Starmer isn't like a sort of like centrist or a right-wing centrist right of course he still exists but I'm talking about the actual new labor brand it was all very similar to how Sturgeon was branded think about like the spectacle of like Cool Britannia and things can only get better and then think about the foam fingers Right, I know we joke about the foam fingers, but like this is a huge rally at one of Scotland's like biggest concert venues, and everyone's got their "I'm with Nicola" foam finger um, after the referendum. Do you know what I mean? It's the same type of spectacle, um, but the sheen is coming off just so so quickly. Um, I think like basically, I mean, I remember speaking to people who were running independent campaigns and council elections and I think maybe it was 2017 I think I can't remember like that whole period of like 2015 to 2018 sort of like just melts into one giant blah for me um so yeah I mean I just feel like people cottoned on really fast to the idea you could put uh I mean a monkey in a pastel yellow suit and get it elected yeah. <laughs> in certain areas rather than a red rosette. Do you know what I mean? You know, and like uh, people what... cottoned on to that very quickly and suddenly got really sickened by it because they kind of felt like, oh wait, this is all just the same shit. Same shit, different suits, different rosettes. There's a couple of things that I've been thinking about this. One is, in spite of everything, if you look at the polling, support for independence looks like it's falling. And so does, to an extent, support for the SNP. But from a very advanced position, um, I mean, what's the point in making predictions? But I, I can imagine that the SNP will have a rough time of it at the next general election in particular, um, because it looks like there could be a change of government and there could be a Labour government. Um, who knows about the Scottish election? But it will be very interesting to see how long the SNP's still just about their hegemony holds up. Because you've got to remember just the sheer scale of the collapse of Labour in particular mm. back in 2014-15. Mm. Um, they, are, they are declining from a very strong position. The other thing that's interesting in this is, 
I mean, between over about the course of the war on terror and the two things are related, it's the 20th anniversary, of course, of the Iraq war. Um, over that period, New Labour UK-wide lost about 5 million voters, mostly working-class voters. But that's a decline of a party with real historic roots in large parts of the population. Yeah. You know, that's Labour's an historic social democratic party with that kind of um, historical lineage and so on. The SNP was a very insubstantial party until about, well, in terms of membership, right up until 2014-15. But even, I mean, it came to power in 2007 in the minority government, and before that even, it was a very small party numerically. It had quite scant representation in parliaments and so on. It doesn't have that kind of history. It doesn't have yeah. that those kind of roots in historical tradition. And it'll be interesting to see if, because of that, it collapses faster and more completely than Labour has or perhaps ever could. That will be interesting. I mean, my kind of feeling is the the new SNP that people refer to, the party that emerged out of 2014, it could prove itself to be a party like, um, say, Beppe Grillo's party in Italy or Podemos in Spain which is to say a kind of like a pop-up party which emerges suddenly, rapidly, with claims to deject, to reject a kind of old establishment, but ultimately finds that it's not robust enough to survive um, the moment of its own creation. You know, once that, once that framing of politics, the populist movements in Italy and Spain of their day had come and gone, the party form more or less goes with it. It'll be yeah. interesting to see if that's that's what happens to the SNP because all these parties, the SNP, Tories, Labour, Lib Dem, they're all now like cartel parties. I don't think yeah. there's a Conservative Party. I don't think there's a Social Democratic Party. I don't think the SNP is a Nationalist Party. I think that the fundamental character of all these political parties is that they are um, they're sort of oligarchic in nature. Um, they they are kind of what you see. There's no ideology beyond that. So when you see Nicola Sturgeon and Peter Murrell controlling um, this entire apparatus from a tiny centralised clique, that in large part explains the nature of the party itself, um, mm. <laughs> which is what makes these political forms so fragile now. They don't they don't have a wide organic base of support in the population. Um, they've got there are kind of tendrils of hangers-on emanating mm -hmm. out of a centre, which is the yeah. real core of the party. So it will be very interesting to see, you know, does, does Scottish nationalism still have the kind of ideological fibre to survive a period in the wilderness or, in, or a period in decline, a period of decline that could still go on for years because of how weakened the other parties have become? Um, or, I mean, could it completely collapse? I probably wouldn't have even asked that question until the last couple of days, because, as I've said, the party's number two person in government, the finance minister, you know, really the kind of like the chancellor type position, right, has in the last 48 hours called for an investigation into her own party, right, saying that they need an independent <coughs> investigation. 
come in and investigate the conduct of the election, the leadership election of the party. Stuff like that just doesn't happen in the Tory party and the Labour party for a reason. Like, they have a long-term political culture with people who understand that culture. They understand if the chancellor in your government denounces their own political party, opens up this idea that the party itself may be corrupt, which is the mm-hmm. only way you mm-hmm. can read that, you're doing lasting damage. Oh, I was complete. I mean, the all I think that the leadership election has really shown like all of those like factional tensions that have been there in the SNP and that has been held together with like Sturgeon and Morell's like absolute control. If you have a situation where um like Kate Forbes is savaging the record of Hamza Yusuf um because he's in government. And by extension, she's savaging the record of the SNP, but she has been the second most senior politician within the SNP at that time. Like, and what that's doing is, like, I think for a lot of SNP members, they will hate that. They will hate that. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would like if you're you know an SNP diehard, then why would you vote for someone who is going to trash essentially your party in public? Um, now it's ramping up to the like there's corruption um, you know Ashringham is going to call a press conference if they didn't release the membership numbers there's people talking about you know police being involved and like donor money and like all sorts it's I mean what what traditionally happens of course in more established parties when there's a leadership election is that Whoever wins will then reorganize the cabinet. They will usually give posts to the other contenders, um, you know, to kind of like balance out those. But like this looks like it's been such a dirty fight, and so many insane accusations have been made. I mean, what does the government even look like once one of them wins? I mean, there's already rumors that. Um, if Forbes wins, there will be people actively trying to derail her. Yeah, like, I... people, and and I mean, she's so clearly like the business candidate. She's so clearly the candidate of the names of people who've been involved in the SNP that we forgot about. I will say, Connor Cass was first to call Kate Forbes for the next leader. Do remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just <laughs> we're not often right, so let's just like you know milk it whilst we can. Um, so. Yeah, the she's so obviously the candidate of those people that I'd forgotten existed, like your Brian Sutter, like your Tom Hunter, like the, the business lobby, do you know what I mean? It fits with all the social conservatism, like the, you know, making Scotland into a tax haven. It's like, yeah, we can have an independent Scotland, but it's going to look like, it's going to look like this. Do you know what I mean? Which actually, we are, we had to build a big argument against before mm-hmm. the referendum because that was a lot of Alex Salmon's policy it was like the Ark of Prosperity the Celtic Tiger those types of very neoliberal economic models and that's what we were trying to you know shift away from and say that something else is, is possible and that was clearly where the campaign message was winning do you know what I mean we clearly were winning that argument on the ground we had to do a lot of work to get there um, people forget that because it's so much everyone opposes austerity now everyone Right. See what see when you opposed austerity, right? Back in like said I mean, look were, at that poster behind you, right? The yeah. faces on the poster behind you is it's Nick Clegg and David Cameron. It's a lifetime ago. 
and like even like big organizations like is it is it george osborne it's osborne who who in those days i thought it was I thought it was a um, but of course it was Osborne who was very much the architect of, of austerity in Britain. When the official yes campaign launched, it wasn't anti-austerity. You didn't hear that mm-hmm. language because that was considered it was, edgy. It was kick, it was like dragged, kicking and screaming to the left yeah. by forces like radical independence, RIP. Um do you know what I mean? Like that was the basis of radical independence was it was the anti-austerity pull and anti-NATO pull <laughs> um for the broader yes movement. Like that's really what it was founded on. I mean, God, I don't know what the people involved in record during these days, but it's not the same campaign like at all. It's not the same principles and it's not the same politics. Um no, and, so and the thing I mean, the thing about the Kate Forbes wing of the party as well is there is a sort of when we used to say she was going to become the leader, I, there was almost a a kind of gallows expectation on my part about that, which was, I, I, I you know, I know that people don't learn lessons, <laughs> right? Um, I, that's a fact of life, right? But I remember thinking to myself, Kate Forbes was kind of born in Scottish politics as a darling of the Sturgeonite and ostensibly liberal wing of the SNP. Because if you remember, she was brought in to substitute for Derek Mackay, who had been disgraced overnight um, in advance of his um, budget. Now, this came as a terrible shock to the Scottish government, and it came at a very bad time, because this was also the moment when the battle with Alex Salmond was opening up. right? So this was shortly in advance of the whole Alba salmon's situation right but of course that was rumors about this and knowledge about this were already all over the place um and there was already the faction fight was well underway so this was a very dangerous moment and when kate forbes came in and gave Derek mckay's budget you know pronounced Derek mckay's budget she was cheered to the rafters by every hanger on about Oh, and it was the most, it was the most kind of ugly, kind of patronizing liberal feminism. It was once again, women have to clean up the mess that men make, right? <laughs> Which is so crass, by the way. You know, Disgusting. so crass. But anyway, that was what was said. And it was like, once again, we're pr- proving that like women's le- leadership is kind of more responsible and all that. And I was thinking of the back oh, of my Oh my God. I already knew anyone paying attention knew that she was a wee freak. By knew more of that, that she was a she was um she was a um, she was involved in the the national prayer uh, breakfast movement in the United States and all this kind of stuff, which is like attached to a very sinister Christian group in America called the Family and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I'd been kind of following this stuff, and I was like, "You guys are honestly making such fools of yourselves with all this." I fucking love the idea of like liberal feminism like opening like like fabulously paving the way for this it's just so fucking perfect it's the only thing that could have done it as well right what we used to call salmon derangement syndrome is the only thing that could empower real social conservatism in my opinion because what you had there is alex salmon is many things i don't think he's a social conservative right i think it's completely apparent that he's a social liberal 
I suspect most of the people around in his circles, as it were, you know, the people who usually attract a lot of hatred, like Joanna Cherry and so on, these people are social liberals. They're just social liberals of a kind of 1990s variety, right? Yeah. Um, so, and so these people were being castigated as literally a fascistic evil, right? Yes. A danger of that kind. And in order to combat this fascistic evil, they lifted up someone who has the rare distinction of being identifiably an actual social conservative. <laughs> and do you know what the punchline is? The public fucking liker. That is it. It's, it's so nuts, isn't it? It's just so, I mean, honestly, it fucking cracks me up, man. From, from, from nowhere, from oblivion. Which, by which I mean the northeast of Scotland, right? from from the the forgotten farming territories of Scotland, uh, metropolitan Edinburgh and Glasgow liberalism reached in you know into the northeast, the rural northeast, to clutch up um, from the, the from a tiny Christian sect, uh, a social conservative, to do battle against the full conservatism of a faction, of the kind of legacy faction of the SNP. Uh, and here we are today. Here we are today with someone who could still feasibly win the election. I still think it will be Hamza, to be honest, but who is in in punching distance of... Oh, aye. Um, and, and if she's not leader this time, she'll be leader next time. Well, this is the thing. I mean, let's say Hamza... It's clear to- that that's the trajectory. Like, I think that Hamza will be in for a really rough ride. And that, but this is something that um, Alex Hockley, who we've had on the podcast podcast before, has said is like um, the ma- like social conservatism may be in many Western countries a broken force. It certainly has been historically in Scotland. If one thing can rehabilitate it, just one thing, it's sort of outre elitist liberalism constantly, we almost will kind of bring it into existence by sheer paranoia. And the sheer fascination with right-wing ideology, um, mm. which is in the general population. I mean, look, the general population does not share the wacky um, sort of identitarian uh, fixations of, you know, elements who circulate around the Hollywood world. But they're not socially conservatives as as such. There's nothing in in Scotland like you have in the United States. With no, no, you don't. You don't have those major institutions like like actual conversions therapy camps, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. So you don't have kids getting snatched out of the houses in in the night. And just, I mean, horrific, horrific, like, dr- driven off into like Utah and and you know the kind terrible. of in America and 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 um bombarded with bible readings and so on that sort of thing doesn't go on but it's honestly the number of people and i don't say this to i think people by the way who view themselves on the left i mean i saw um what's his name alex neil um saying because i'm a democratic socialist and backing kate forbes it's like please man, <laughs> please right but where that on <laughs> partly right and i that's it's ridiculous to me but where that comes from, partly, is just these people now hate the party establishment so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. They yeah, will yeah. reach for any stick they can get to beat well, it. Well, I mean, 
Of course, because this is the other point about them makes them very new library is do you remember when like people like Alistair Campbell like became the story was like, okay, this is when it's really unwinding. Peter Morell is now the story. He's been the story for months and months and months. Do you know what I mean? Like you cannot operate like that. No, um, but there's nothing. I else mean, and I feel like now that we're reflecting on like the broader picture, I feel a little bit bad for teasing Ash Reagan over her voter empowerment mechanism and her um the other one was the readiness thermometer. The readiness thermometer. Yeah. So it was like a big dial that would be like out in the street to show how ready we were for independent. I mean and here I am being like, Oh my god, that's so daft and like having a I mean, when I heard about the voter empowerment mechanism the reason, like, if Ash Reagan fans are listening, like, what I will say is the reason it gives me mega cringe is because it reeks of the far left. Mm. It absolutely stinks of, like, a radical left fudge and rebadge. I've been in those meetings where we've been like, oh, what will we call this thing that we're trying to do that we don't have any money for, that we don't have any ideas or power for? We'll just we'll call it a thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's what makes me cringe about it. Like, when I see, like, some of this stuff, I'm just like, see, I saw that the SNP had deleted the rules from their website this morning. I was actually howling with laughter because it's just so Troy. And it's just like, I've been there. I've been there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a bit of a... Yeah, we've we've been through this before. There's there's right? the there's the brittleness of the kind of left wing schism. Yeah, 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 totally. But also, I mean, here we are, like laughing at fucking Ash Reagan's patter. But this is this is Hums's problem, right? Is that what he inherits is all the bullshit. If you actually think about like all the bullshit fucking slogans that this government has come out with, right? A national care service. That's going to be run by a private company, the National Energy Company, which got mothballed, and the current, the current worst thing of all time is that bloody bottled deposit scheme. Right, that's the problem with being the continuity candidate is that you have to pick up all of the junk, you know, like the failed stuff. I mean, what kind of government has a drugs death task force mm. to deal with the fact that people are dying of? Overdoses and drugs in the street. A task force. A task force. Do you know what I mean? This we is the problem he's going to have. Love it. Love a task force. Love, love a working committee. group. Love, love a review. Love a committee. Do you know what I mean? It's all that stuff he's going to have to deal with. Um, and honestly, like I think that's really, really hard for anyone to go in. I think like if Forbes goes in, she's able to be like, do you know what? This is all rubbish. I think she's already. I think have they all already. I mean, I'm desperate to talk about the bottle, like the bottle replacement scheme. You, like, I'm absolutely name. champing at the bit about it. <laughs> I because I it is the thing that has made me like a right money old bastard in politics. <laughs> I literally don't know what it is. I know nobody knows what it is, right? Nobody knows what it is, and this is my understanding. And if there's anyone listening who's like, "Cat, that's not how it works," then please do inform us because this is my genuine view. And honestly, I like I have been storming around the house about it, ranting at no end. So basically, do you mind when you would get like a bottle of Iron Brew and it would have like a 20 pence return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So you could collect them, you could take them to the ice cream van or whatever and you get sweets or more juice or whatever. Or feel guilty. Every, 
<laughs> or like go looking for them when you were a kid, right? Yeah. It's an excellent bit in the still game when Winston is skint and he just like walks into the clansman with a bin bag full of uh, glass bottles and slams them on the bar and he's just like, get the gingies took. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically that, right? So, but what it is, is the, the deposit, I'm putting in inverted commas here, the deposit of, say, 20 pence is applied to every receptacle, regardless of size or what it contains. So say it's 20 pence, right? So for, for any receptacle. So that would be like a can of Diet Coke is going to go up in price by 20 pence per unit. But so is a bottle of whiskey go up by 20 pence per unit obviously like one is a very different type of thing than the other mm-hmm. so when you go into this right, i'm a diet coke addict i'm a total freak for it like it's i have a i have a problem i love it i absolutely love diet coke and i love a can of diet coke very specifically chilled from the fridge yeah. i love the noise of it opening i love the way it's like all it's just it's it's the greatest drink of all time so <laughs> you're gonna now have these cans of diet coke that are going up by 20 pence a can. So a multi-pack is going up by 20 pence a can. So it'll cost you like £15.80 or something for a multi-pack. Oh, my God. Right? So you bear the cost of that. But then when you take the cans back, you then are able to get the money back. Mm -hmm. But you have to take the cans back in order to do that. But it's happening with whiskeys as well and wines and... Do you know what I mean? So a whiskey, like a bottle of malt or whatever, will go up by 20 pence. But that's a very different price differential than, say, a can of Coke, mm-hmm. right? Because it takes longer to drink, like, depends on your tastes, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? And honestly, the whole thing's a fucking farce. And I have, the next time I see Lorna Slater on telly talking about businesses just called Circularity Scotland, I'm honestly going to just like smash my phone into my face because I can't take it anymore. Mm. It's just like businesses can call Circularity Scotland. They changed the rules 48 hours before the fucking deadline. I'm sorry, this is an embarrassment. It's a total embarrassment. Nobody yeah. knows what's going on. Circularity Scotland, right? Here's here's a good bit. They're a private company. At least they have like this private profit element. Do you know they've calculated that people like me and you, we ain't going to be taking back our cans or balls. So they're going to be making a pretty penny. So they're going to be making a sweet little profit. Millions and millions of pounds. The whole thing's a joke. Mm. I'm honestly so... <laughs> I've been so animated about this. Like, I know it's pure, like, it's what you would term, like, bins and dog shit politics. Mm. But it really just sums it up. Do you know what I mean? It's all just... It's just like badly thought out, like fucking badly executed and badly communicated. I mean, I don't has, Lorna has Slater has no redeeming features as a politician at all. It has Lorna Slater written all over it? It does. It does. It's it's a pure joke. I hate it. Um and I think once people like once the uh all of the facts of it click into place come August the 1st, if it actually goes through, the people will be like, what the fuck is this? This is a pure swizz. It would be very Scottish if this was the thing that led to the final collapse of the government. Because people yeah, like, what? 20p per can? Um, we're going to have to wrap this up. Oh, sorry, I took, sucked all the energy like i really ruined the chi of this pod with going on about circularity scotland i mean what even is circularity what does that even mean 
<laughs> it always reminds me of that bit in I can't remember if it was the day to day or brass eye, where um he's asking that kind of that pop star who had that like a one hit wonder type pop star. He goes, "Have you ever written a spherical song?" And do you know, and you know, he was conducting this interview. It's in the guy from Babylon Zoo, you're talking about, Babylon isn't it? Zoo, that's it. And he goes, "Have you ever written a spherical song?" And he goes, "Um, I'm not sure." And then he goes, "Has and he names some other artists. Has he written a spherical song?" And he goes, "I think he's getting close." So whenever I hear, whenever I hear about the circular economy or circularity Scotland, I think about spherical songs. Do you know? That guy actually went on to have a career after Babylon Zoo. I remember like looking it up on Wikipedia one night. Yeah. Yeah. I when I had well. like serious insomnia, like I was like, I wonder what happened to that guy. I think his name was his name not oh god, what was his name? It was such cheesy. Um, but in that like interview, uh Chris Morris is also like, Do you do you think you have some extra genes? Do you think you may be a genius? And he's like, <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, this has this has me energy written all over it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lorna Slater and Kate Forbes both have extra genes, and that's how they ended up right in the centre of Scottish politics. Um, well, no, Kate Forbes was lured into Scottish politics by the handmaiden of liberal feminism. Yeah, yeah. I'd say um, in a sense was Lorna Lorna Slater. But with very, but with radically opposed kind. When of I think of Lorna Slater and Circularity Scotland, because you know she does that thing that, like, where she's trying to give herself some personality, and she's like, um, you know, as a circus performer in her fucking spare time or some shit. I always just think of Circularity Scotland as being the wheel on her unicycle, as she juggles like hunters of gingies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mock that up. <laughs>